This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. He's been advisor to Presidents Clinton and Trump. And now, he's here to advise us all. Dick Morris is on 77 WABC. Not so secret anymore. Yeah, secret. Uh, I spoke to President Trump last night by phone. He was really pumped after that rally in uh, Youngstown, Ohio. He was really into it. So, uh, and, and he was really in, in furious about the uh, information that just came out that it was an FBI informant who, uh, who gave the information to the FBI about the uh, about the Russia 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 scandal, that this was entirely an in-house job. That what happened was that originally we thought that this was just made up by Christopher Steele, who was the British spy who created the dossier, and he had these crazy stories. He, one story was that uh, the uh, Trump aide had met with Putin's aide in Prague. And I asked the Trump aide, have you ever been to Prague? And he said, no, here's my passport. And you could see that he'd never been to Prague. So uh, the whole thing was a lie. And then the idea that prostitutes were with Trump in Moscow, yeah, peeing on them. And, um, the, and so we thought that that was all fabricated by Steele. Then we learned that Steele was being paid by the Clinton campaign. So we figured out it got fabricated by the Clinton campaign. Now we find out that... The, that Steele got all of his information from a guy named Igor Denchenko, who is a Russian oligarch, and that Denchenko was being paid by the FBI. So the FBI created this whole hoax. The FBI paid this guy to lie about it, to come up with all kinds of crap, which he said was barroom gossip, which mm. is where he got it from. That was his source. And, that, uh, and just put it in the dossier, and then the FBI with its imprimatur, got it out there through the Hillary campaign, through Christopher Steele, into the media. And because it basically came several layers down from the FBI, everybody assumed it was legitimate. And for two years, Trump twisted slowly in the wind while everybody was saying that he was, in fact, a Russian agent. He had been put there by Vladimir Putin and, uh, and so on. And now it comes out that the FBI planted this directly. So the informer, Igor Denchenko, in the time-honored history of informers, followed a certain rule of ethics that they all follow. <laughs> that's the rule of ethics? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> They're very strict about that. Uh. But uh, he took the money, but he didn't run. He... Uh, He's now in, uh, I believe, he's not, not in prison yet, but he's under indictment. Not for this, but for a separate instance of lying to the FBI. So, in effect, what I told, what I discussed with the president, former president, last night, is you know how in Russia, Putin is, uh, is, what came from the KGB, now it's the FSB, the successor agency. And that he was the head of the KGB and then he became the president of Russia. I told Trump, I said, you know, the FBI is becoming its own political party here. Uh, they nominate their own candidates. They stack the election. They come up with phony information. Oh, really? And now they even raid candidates' homes and threaten to indict them. They're really their own political party now, not an investigative agency. And that is absolutely awful. It is unbelievable. But this is no surprise to me because um, I wrote a book uh, a few months ago called The Return, 
Trump's big 2024 comeback. And in it, I predict that there will be a legal catch for Trump created by the FBI that they will try to ensnare him. Because the fact of the matter is that there is no way they can stop Trump from being president except through this. Their first thought was that they could nail him in the Republican primaries, that they could get DeSantis or somebody to run against him. And, uh, and, and they couldn't. Uh, they, nobody would run. The last poll shows Trump leading DeSantis by a squeaker, 70 to 10. That's a squeaker. That's <laughs> squeaker. a squeaker. That's a yeah. squeaker. <laughs> and, uh, and, and Trump was laughing about that last night over the phone. Yeah. He said, I'm, I'm a little bit ahead. <laughs> and, uh, and he's shown week after week after week in these primaries that he can't be defeated, that whatever state it's in, whatever the issues are, his candidates are winning. So it's clear that this guy has an absolute lock on the Republican nomination. And come on, with the economy looking like it does and the border looking like it is and inflation going on and gas prices and now a huge recession coming on uh, in, as a result of the Fed's efforts to stop inflation, uh, you really believe that a Democrat is going to win? So they see Trump as inevitable at this point, and they're right. And the only way they can stop Trump, which is the thing that they are determined to do above all else, stop Trump, is to make up charges, pardon my pun, but trumped up charges, mm. and, uh, and go after him and try to stop him from becoming president. And it doesn't matter how, who they have to lie to, how, what they have to say. They're good at that. Yeah, they're really good at it. They do it all the time. Mm. Let's go to Mark in Westfield, New Jersey. Hey, Mark. Mr. Morris, thank you for taking my call. It's, it's a, quite an honor to speak to you well, today. Thank you for uh, making I had the pleasure uh, this past week, I listened to your book, and I was so grateful on the uh, streaming service that you were the actual reader of your book, and it was, yeah. a, it was a great pleasure. Thereby proving Sir, that I can not only write, but that I can read. Because I can't read. <laughs> and you read it very well. It was uh, quite It was like having six hours of you. All at once, and it was uh, quite a pleasure. My wife Sir, finds that a little wearing. <laughs> puts, puts me to sleep. <laughs> I'll, I'll be brief with my question. You know, everything you, you raised in the book uh, is only motivating us more to, you know, be optimistic about the future and the inevitable uh, real re-election of our uh, former president. Um, my, my question to you is, as we hear more and more about the, the dire straits the company, uh, the country is moving towards, and I know this is an outlandish idea, but is there any merit to the former president potentially becoming speaker in, in 2022? No. And, no, and, no. And, and please tell me why, because I, I just because, need the education. To, well, to, why run twice, you know? Uh, if he runs for speaker and loses, uh, he can't run for president. Um there's never been a speaker who is Why? not because a member. Of time? Why? Because of the timing? Yeah. And there's never been, well, there's just a failure. And there's never been a speaker who wasn't a congressman. And I don't think Congress would take to that nicely. It's like having a colonial governor from outside the, the body. But um, when you say the country is in desperate shape, dire straits, I think you call it, the, it really is. And it's unbelievable. You have to just understand what's going on. We had, uh, for many, many years under Trump, uh, a balanced, uh, not a balanced budget, a deficit, but a controlled deficit. And, uh, then COVID struck and we had to really increase spending to be able to get everybody over the disease. And we did. The U.S. was one of the only countries that did not have, uh, a total depression as a result of it. People got their income replaced by the government. Then Biden gets elected. A vaccine gets created, and despite the fact that the vaccine is more or less stopping the epidemic, Biden puts two, tr two, $2 trillion of extra spending into the economy, and that just puts money out there like crazy, and there are not enough goods to absorb the money, and too much money and too few goods causes prices to go soaring, and they go up and up and up, and you see that now at the supermarket and the gas station. Then, because people can't make ends meet because of the inflation, he spends more money. He puts $900 billion more into it, which causes even more inflation. And that make, drives the Federal Reserve nuts. 
So they decide that what they have to do is dramatically increase interest rates, and that's what they're doing now. Instead of going up by a quarter of a point each time, they're going up half a point, three quarters of a point. Some even say that on Wednesday when the committee meets, they can raise it by a full point, and then more the next month and more the next month. And it's so drastic, so rapid, because the inflation is so out of control that it brings on this humongous, unbelievable recession which we're about to have, with gigantic unemployment. You ain't seen nothing yet. And then what will happen is the Democrats will say, oh, wow, all these people are out of work. Let's raise spending to get them (laughs) whole again. And that will cause more inflation. It will cause the Fed to raise more. It will cause more recession. You're into this destructive cycle that just goes all the way down. That's what they do. And in the meantime, waiting in the wings are the BRICS countries. Brazil, Russia, India, and China, BRIC. And now they've been joined by Turkey, Saudi Arabia, and South Africa. And those seven countries are not using the dollar anymore in their international transactions. They want gold, not paper. And that is undermining confidence in the dollar and creating a situation very shortly where if the dollar keeps screwing up like this, it'll no longer be the global currency. And when that happens, it means the U.S. can't just run a deficit. We can't just run printing presses, and we may think that's politically desirable, but it creates a hell of a situation. It means that we are basically in the same situation states are, where they have to balance their budget, and in emergencies they can't uh, just create money, and uh, we'd be totally vulnerable to things like the SNL crisis or the subprime crisis, we'd just be wiped out because we couldn't run the printing press when we absolutely desperately needed to. So that's what we're facing here. It's, it's unbelievably dangerous and negative. And I try to outline that in, in the return. Um, facing me in this calamity is my co-host here, Doug DePiro, Doug DePiro. who, um, who is... Uh, happily riding on his motorcycle in his convertibles <laughs> and uh, futzing with them. He calls them fixing them. Yeah, you call it futzing? I want to come back in my next life as his car because <laughs> I get such loving care. Remember my mother, the car? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Okay, now, sometimes the gift of prophecy, which sometimes I feel like I have, I'm Nostradamus, uh, isn't good because you can see what's coming. And let me give you a clue. Hillary Clinton is coming. Uh, She's going to run for president. She's not going to win, but she's going to run. And she is following Bill Clinton's playbook that I designed for him and with him in 1992. She Bill is now, I think, very actively involved in her campaign. You can tell because of what she's doing. And she's not bright enough to do all I, that. I think she's own. twitching right now that you just said that you designed the playbook that she, yeah. she she's twitching. She, she is. So are my listeners. <laughs> but but the but she she is absolutely following the playbook that Bill Clinton followed in nineteen ninety two. Absolutely. You, Bill ran for president. Because he said, hey, we look at what happened to Mike Dukakis. You look at what happened to Walter Mondale. Our party's in serious trouble because it's drifted too far to the left. I'm a new Democrat. I'm a centrist. I'll bring the party back to the center. And vote for me because I'm the only way that we can interrupt this period of Republican rule that we've had under Reagan and under Bush. And uh, 
And then he illustrated he was a centrist. He said he returned to Arkansas to sign the death warrant for the state's first execution in decades. He um, advocated a border wall, and when he was president, built 200 miles of it. He insisted the teachers take competency tests in Arkansas, and he fired the ones that failed. He was a moderate. He was a middle-of-the-roader. And then in the one of the most important and memorable stunts in campaign history, Sister Soldier, the black uh, activist, said right after the L.A. riots in 92, we're used to seeing black people kill black people. Why don't we have a week and kill white people instead? Well, that's, and that's nice. Sister Soldier was an icon on the left, and Clinton attacked her for that. And that was, they called it the Sister Soldier moment in political history because it showed everyone he was a moderate. Well, that's what Hillary's doing. Last week, Hillary said, Americans do not support open borders. Okay? And the week before, she criticized Biden for saying that MAGA Republicans are semi-fascists, saying let's get past this kind of incendiary rhetoric. And Bill is obviously writing these lines for her and obviously scripting it, the same playbook. And what she's going to do is she's saying, I'm not running, I'm not running. But she knows damn well that when they lose the Senate and the House, they're going to go to Biden, the Democrats, and they're going to say, look, guy, you can't run again. You led us into a fiasco in 92. We can't let you run our ticket in 20, in 22. We can't let you do it in 24. And he'll have to say, okay, guys, just don't throw me out as president. I'll, don't impeach me. Don't 25th Amendment me. I'll uh, announce that I'm not running again. And when that happens, everybody's going to come into the race. And Hillary is going to say, there we go again. We have, he led us to disaster. I said I wasn't running, but that's because Biden was running. Now he's not, so I'm not, I'm free to run. And she'll save the world. She could save the world. And we have to stop these leftists from taking over the party because they're going to run us into the ground just like they did in the last election. And just as Bill then was the moderate savior of the party, Hillary's going to be the moderate savior of the party. And uh, she'll emerge as the alternative to Bernie Sanders, which is just what she did in twenty six in 2016. And she'll lose a lot of the primaries, but they'll fix it with the superdelegates. Now, is this Frankensteinian prediction of mine uh, going to come true? Will she be the next president? No, because she has one problem that she can't overcome. will be perfectly positioned to get the nomination and maybe to win the election over issues by almost attacking her own party. When you criticize your own party, it gives you a credibility with independence that is wonderful. And uh, Tony Blair got elected in Britain by saying the Labour Party had gotten too extreme. Bill got elected president by saying the Democratic Party had gotten too crazy. And Hillary would be basically saying the same thing, and that gives her great credibility with independents who think the same thing. But then her integrity problems are going to come up and going to trip her up and snare her and tear her apart. Let me explain why Hillary is dishonest, okay? <laughs> it's It's kind of like not her fault. She does not want ever to admit that she was wrong. That's the fundamental thing. She feels she has to be misperfect. And whenever there's a possibility that she did something wrong, she has to cover it up because she knows that it'll come out. Everybody will believe badly of her. She's still the ugly girl in class who nobody will date and uh, has to be able to make it on her intellectual ability. And uh, she's so whenever there's a negative out there, she'll lie and obfuscate and distort and conceal to try to get away from it. I first learned this about her in 1992 and 94 at the start of my work with them in the White House. 
the the Watergate, the Whitewater scandal at that point was the big deal. And the Washington Post sent a message to Clinton. This is how they do it on the inside, and said, "We don't think Whitewater is that important. We're not going to pursue it now that you're president, but we do want to see your tax returns." Because if we can see that you didn't make money from Whitewater, then we'll drop the scandal. So they said, so give us the tax returns for 79, 80, 81, and 82. So I said to the president, I said, man, that is fantastic. Let's get them out there. For God's sakes, we can, we're home free. And Bill said, yeah, absolutely. He said, I didn't make any money those years. And then Hillary said, no, we're not going to do it. And I kept pressing her, why not? And she said, nope, look, end of discussion. I'm not going to talk to you about it. We are not going to do that. We can release 79, 81, and 82, but we're not <laughs> kind of releasing 1980. And I said, they'll never buy that. They'll, one, they'll just make them curious about 1980. Mm. She said, nope, no way. And as a result, the Washington Post said, well, you weren't releasing your tax returns, so we think you made money in white order, which they did not. And uh, we're going to get a special prosecutor to go after you. And because of that, they got Ken Starr, may he rest in peace. And then they got uh, the special, and then they got Monica Lewinsky as a result of Starr, and he was almost thrown out of office, all because she wouldn't release the tax return. Why wouldn't she? Well, I learned three years later, when the statute of limitations on insider trading had lapsed, and she could no longer be prosecuted for investing a thousand bucks in the futures market and making a hundred thousand dollars from chicken futures, which she'd done in 1980. And she was concealing her tax returns until the statute of limitations ran. And as a result, she got whitewater. She got a special prosecutor. Her husband damn near got thrown out of office. Then I saw it again with Paula Jones, who was suing Clinton because she claimed that a Trooper brought her up to his hotel room and he exposed himself. And uh, Paula said, I'm willing to drop the suit for no money, no apology, no damages. I just don't want people to believe I was stalking you. So I don't want you to say that you sent an agent up to bring me up to your room. And I said, great, whoopee. You know, you can say that he brought her up to the room. You actually said whoopee? Yeah, Yeah, well, whatever. Because she's a state employee. And, you know, you could bring her up for any number of reasonable reasons. And Hillary said, no. The the Spectator, the conservative publication, is saying that Bill is using women, using troopers to get women. And I'm not going to verify that by this story coming out. So we didn't accept the plea bargain. We had a special prosecutor. We had an affidavit. They confronted him with Monica. He lied his head off. He got impeached, and he damn near got ousted from office, all because Hillary wouldn't let them say, wouldn't let him say that he'd sent a trooper down to bring a woman up, even though the woman was a state employee. Unbelievable what this woman put put Clinton through. And every day I'd sit there, and I'd be running Clinton's stuff, and uh, and and I'd be pushing a mountain a rock up the hill, and then she would come in, and we'd go back a couple mm. of hundred yards for some crazy screwed up reason. The cover-up well, was always worse than the, uh, the yeah. thing. Sure. The, the, the best example of it is what happened last time she ran for president. After they left office, she said, hey, we don't have enough money to go for our future. It was always something she worried about. So let's steal some. <laughs> so they agreed that they would set up a pay-for-play operation. Let's where steal some. She was Secretary of State, and Bill would go out there and give speeches. And somebody that needed a favor from Washington would pay Bill a million bucks to give a speech, not for the favor. Nice. That would be illegal. And Bill would give the speech. They'd pay the million. Bill would put it in his joint bank account with Hillary Clinton. And as Secretary of State, Hillary would do the favor they wanted recognizing a country, receiving a delegation, appointing an undersecretary, appointing an ambassador. Mm. She'd do whatever she had to do. But those are complicated transactions. It's not just a simple matter of, hey, appoint my son, and then you appoint the son, and that's it. There had to be back and forth, back and forth. Did you do enough? What do we want you to do? Are you doing what we want? Have you paid me? Do I have all the money? And so on and so on. So I smell emails. Dozens of emails back and forth. And if those emails were exposed, she'd be indicted, and so would Bill. So she hit on a scheme, hide the emails in her freaking laptop and bring it home with her. 
And then the whole scandal becomes about the laptop. He lost the White House solely because of that laptop. And mm. she covered it up solely because she needed to cover up the pay-to-play stuff. So she is always getting herself in a mess, in an absolute storm. And uh, and it's all her own fault. She just ties herself in knots. And that's why she's really never going to be president. Let's go to um, Ralph in New Jersey. Hey, Ralph. How are you? Well, you know, that's a very interesting theory that you have uh, pushed out there, uh, Dick Morris. But regarding, you know, the immigration issue, okay, uh, why do we not gonna wash these people over to the White House and then these people demand to survive there and run for the I'm sorry, you, you garbled on the transmission. Call, call back a little later. Let's go to Edward in Chicago. Hey, Edward. Hi, Edward. Hey, Dick. How's it going? Doing great. Yeah. So Gloria Romero, she's a California Democrat, took the task her own party about these uh, upper class liberals. Mm-hmm. I always tell black uh, liberals, you know, it's not a racist thing. It's a class thing. Yep. Because it doesn't matter what color you are. If you're in the upper class, even if they're the same race as you are, but you have a higher income than they do. Guess yep. what? They don't want to be around you. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. It's snobbish. It's 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 the reason they have first class and steerage on ocean liners from ancient times. <laughs> they um they do not want to mix, and it's absolutely that. And we're seeing that uh in clearly in Martha's Vineyard. But isn't it fun to watch them squirm on their yeah. beaches when when illegal immigrants come in? How dare they? It sounded Incredible. so great on paper. Yeah. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Secret Agent Man, Secret Agent Man, they've given you a number. Welcome to the Dick, Doug, and Judith show. Um, we have on the phone Judith, the, the third member. You're like the fourth Marx brother. Uh, <laughs> Three stooges. Shemp. Hey, Judith, what's up? Oh, we're dealing with gender stuff now, huh? Yeah, right. Okay, Hi, Judith. So, Hi, guys. Let me tell you something. <clears throat> Your book, The Return, is alarming and horrifying and funny. All at the same time, it is the most important book ever. I mean, Democrats, Republicans, and anyone in between need to read this book. I could not put this book down, Dick. I want to really? tell you something. That's great. Me, oh yeah, to me, this is this is a secular book, but in my for me right now, it is second to the Bible, people. Wow. And Ralph and Susan from Brooklyn, who's fabulous, and all these other people, you've got to get this book because it's going to give you verbal ammunition for all the idiots out there or the people that don't know the truth from lies, whatever, and it's going to really give you some, um, you know, Judith, when, verbal ammunition. When, that's when, you you say, know, when you say funny, uh, there's a very poignant personal story. You know, my wife, Eileen, had a stroke, and she's had difficulty talking and the synapses collect connecting and all that. So the other day we were at dinner with our friend Paul Feinstein, who's in the in the room with me now and his wife Martha. And Paul said to Doug, uh, you know, Dick was never funny until uh, he met Eileen. And I quoted that to Eileen. And she says from her bed through her lips, and you're funny now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, happy birthday, Eileen. Yeah, it was her birthday, birthday yesterday. Yesterday was her birthday. God bless her. So, um, Judith, let me uh, go on because I want to cover Vladimir Putin's situation. Um, Bob Dylan summarized Putin's situation very well, I think. The sky, too, is falling under you. And it's all over now, baby blue. All your seasick sailors, they are rowing home. Yeah, he emptied hand the army's gone home. Absolutely. Uh, he is in serious, serious shape. I do not think he's going to last out uh, October. Um, 
I think there'll be a new October Revolution. That was the 1917 Revolution. Well, John Jordan gave you some good insight on this. Right? Yeah, the uh, the guy who I have on my Newsmax show, who is fluent in Russian and he monitors the social media. And he says the discontent there is now just going crazy. He said that there was a petition signed by uh, members of the uh, local city council for St. Petersburg, second largest city in Putin's hometown, calling for Putin to be arrested and convicted for treason, for going to war. And then a Moscow group did the same thing. And now over 100 city councilors from all throughout Russia have signed that petition. And, yeah, that petition is like a, a gift certificate to the gulag. You know, I mean, you, this is not an e- – this is like a travel voucher. <laughs> but years ago you did, you did that and – you know, you'd get uh, Putin would come in with his army and take you out. But well, yeah, they're, but now they're they're not so scared. Well, they haul you out to the gulag, so <laughs> so they take some guts to do that. Ah. But um, he is absolutely falling apart. Uh, the Russian army is pinned with its back to the Dnieper River, and uh, normally there's a bridge across it, the uh, Azovensky Bridge or something like that, and the Ukrainians blew it out, so he can't retreat. Uh, his army's trapped, and has 25,000 men who are going to have to surrender. It'll be the largest surrender since Stalingrad. One quarter of the Russian army that is in Ukraine is trapped, and the rest of it, can, and that army, can't be supplied with food and weapons because the rail depots have been captured by the Ukrainians. So they control the rail lines, and, uh, and they're going to have to vacate one of the two provinces they seized. Donetsk, and they'll still have Lubansk, but they're going to be put out of there, pushed out of there too. And it's going to cause, uh, I believe, a toppling of Putin. The question is, will Putin then be replaced by another apparitchik of the KGB and the communists in Russia, the authoritarians? And normally it's yes, they would. And I think that'll happen. I think it'll be a palace coup. I think they'll announce one day that Putin no longer exists. I mean, he'll be alive, but that you don't, he won't say anything. And uh, they'll put a new Putin in there. Wow. But that, the history of Russia doesn't end there. In 1917 and in 1989, people were very upset and they revolted and they overthrew the leader. Um, and uh, in 1989, they dissolved the Soviet Union and in 1917, they overthrew the czar and they put Kerensky, a moderate, in there. But then the revolution continued its momentum. And, uh, and in 1917, uh, 1918, they ousted Kerensky and put the communists, by the Bolsheviks, led by Lenin in, for the same reason, losing a war. The casualties in World War I were such that it impelled a revolution in Russia that changed the system completely. Hmm. And that's happening now with the Ukraine providing the spark. Uh, and I think, and then in 1991, two years after the fall of the Berlin Wall, the communists tried to throw Gorbachev out, and there was a counter-revolution led by my former client, Boris Yeltsin, and, uh, and, he, uh, and he eliminated the whole communist government, replaced it with an entirely new system. So... I think that may be happening. I think we're about to witness the most fundamental change in global politics we've ever had. Now, listen, I know there are a bunch of you that have called in and said we shouldn't be in Ukraine. We shouldn't have spent that kind of money. We shouldn't be giving them that those kinds of weapons. And some have even been more sophisticated and said the real enemy is China. Focus on that. Well, I said then you were wrong and you're wrong now. Because the damage that would be done to China by the fall of Russia is incomparable. It's unbelievable. First of all, China needs Russia on its flank. Otherwise, its flank is completely exposed. Secondly, China's Achilles heel is it doesn't have any oil. So it doesn't have any or gas. So it doesn't have any energy. It needs to import everything it uses. And its industrial machine has to use a vast amount of energy. It's not conserving any. And the problem is that right now Russia provides China with all that it needs. But there are no pipelines. The pipelines between Russia and China are weak. They're overloaded easily. And there are pipelines to India too. 
And if it now has to carry the entire gas usage of China, it's not going to be able to do it. China won't be able to get the goods. And Russia will fall apart financially and economically, and that'll make it impossible for them to export the gas. Half of all Russia's budget, half of their revenues, like we get from the income tax, they get from oil and gas. And a third of their economy is oil and gas. And if those prices go crashing, as they're about to, and because the United States is going to supply Europe with its gas, replacing Russia, and they can't really sell to India or China because they don't have the pipeline capacity, they're going to be broke. They're going to be absolutely out of business. And China can't invade anybody. And on top of that, the Chinese economy is entering a a huge recession uh, uh, because they're getting away from capitalism that Deng Xiaoping put in. And she, the current leader, is a communist. And a a guy. Yeah, she is a man. And they, uh, hey, that's not gender. I don't yeah. know. There's don't no know. pronouns attached to the head of China. <laughs> I don't know anything right? about the that. The head of China is named It. <laughs> anyway, so, so, the, uh, so they're totally screwed. And North Korea obviously is. Iran, Biden could bail them out with a couple of trillion dollars of aid, but it doesn't have the capacity to replace Russia as the uh, as as the supplier of China's energy, they don't again have the pipeline capacity or the money to build the pipelines. So this is just a gigantic change and a very happy one. When you look at the world today, there was a coalition emerging of Russia, China, Iran, and North Korea that threatened the power of the United States. That's now gone. With the Red Army being impotent, that is now over. Uh, they have nuclear weapons, but that's all they have. Richard Nixon said that makes you a helpless, pitiful giant. The only way you can use your military power is to commit suicide uh, by using the nuclear weapons. You know, can... that, that's a great insight, Dick, on, on all of this with China and yeah. Ukraine and well, Russia. Well, they can't use their nuclear weapons and they can't project conventional force. But no one's talking about this. That's, one, that's no. my point I'm making. Next, You're next... talking about this. Well, what I'm trying to do always in these shows is to... Think three moves ahead, yeah, and and that's it's amazing. That's where we are at at the moment. Um, the only serious threat we have to the United States right now is Joe Biden, uh, mm. because with this inflation and this spending, and this level of just going crazy with printing the currency, that could undermine us. The BRIC nations I was talking about, but external threats, forget about it. I'm recalling something Jesus said in the Bible. He said, "Nothing from outside." will kill you outside your body. What will kill you is what is inside your body. And that's so true of the United States today. Let's go to Linda on Long Island. Hi. Hey, Linda. Hi, Dick. Yeah, hi. Um, I wanted to talk about the, uh, you were talking about Hillary, about the nausea factor. I myself get nauseous when I see her, and so do many of my friends. Comey went on the air and gave the whole prosecutor's whole story, exactly what she did, why she's guilty, but he wouldn't prosecute her. Now, how can someone like that who's guilty, you know, right there, everyone heard it. How can she run for president? uh, She'll she'll get killed. She'll be absolutely massacred. But she can win the Democratic nomination because they don't care about integrity. In fact, lack of integrity is sort of a qualification in that party. Um, Thanks for calling, Linda. So in my spare time, uh, I do a lot of stuff watching the New York Yankees and mainlining the New York Yankees. Uh, I used to work for Rudy Giuliani, my predecessor on the show, and uh, and I would meet with him at Gracie Mansion, <laughs> and so funny. we'd sit on the porch looking at the East River, but we wouldn't talk politics while the Yankee game was on. <laughs> <That's so funny. laughs> a few words in between innings, but that's it. And that when it was over, we could have a political meeting. That's it. <laughs> so I have been following Aaron Judge with uh, with bated breath. I mean, it is unbelievable to watch this guy. Uh, I'm 75, so I was there when Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris were chasing Babe Ruth's record. I was in the stands a lot of the time, and uh, and I'm just thrilled by this. But I am furious. I'm absolutely livid 
about the concept that when he breaks the record, which I hope he will, he gets it small and runs here. He's been on a bit of a drought. But when he does, if he does, 61 home runs, they will not say that's the record. They'll say that Barry freaking Bonds holds the record with 73 homers and Mark McGuire with 70 and Sammy Sosa with 66 and Mark McGuire again with 65. And they were and all juicing those guys. Sosa again with 63 and then Sosa in 64. All of which was on the juice. All of which was on steroids. In fact, the, uh, uh, in fact, um, who sings the song here? Uh, uh, White Rabbit, um, has a comment about it. One pill makes you larger and one pill makes you small And the ones that mother gives you don't do anything Jefferson Airplane singing White Rabbit. But to amplify the, the, uh, the events of the steroid era is an expert on it who has a website that is devoted to that uh, named Joe Angelini. And uh, I spoke to him by phone. He's calling in on the show. And I'd like to put him on and talk to them about how outrageous it is that that they're comparing Aaron Judge with these phonies who broke the record because they were on the juice. Are you on, Joe? Yes, I am. Hey, how are you doing? hey Joe. Good to be here. Welcome. Meet our audience, Joe Angelini. Thank you so much, Mr. Morris, for having me on. Good. Well, tell us what your website is. Okay, I'm baseballsgreatesthitters.com. I started the baseballsgreatesthitters.com. Okay. I started doing research on just statistics. I don't do fielding. I don't do pitching. I took all my energy and just went to numbers. Oh, very Dick Morrissey. Yeah. Of you. And um, what I did was I did it on paper at first. You know, this was back in the eighties. I, you know, I grew up after computers. Talk fast, you Joe, because we have time limits. <laughs> Go ahead. And um, my, I was always intrigued as a kid. There was a Mantle Maze comparison going on in the late 50s, early 60s. You right. probably remember that. And I was a Yankee fan. I was always trying to prove Mantle was better than Maze. So I developed a formula, how to rank and rate hitters. And I developed the home run curve, which I have patented you know, does Mickey's home fifty-two homers in nineteen fifty-six? Is that the same? As I the love guy Judge's home run curve. Ends up in the left field bleachers all the time. <laughs> but um, well, talk to us about the about steroid that. era, Joe. Joe, skip to steroids. Tell us your feeling about that. Just, that was I, well. Put it this way: if you go nineteen twenty-seven, Ruth hit sixty. Thirty-four years later, Barris hit sixty-one. Let's fast forward to to. to 1998, that's 71 years of baseball. In that 71 years, you have some great sluggers. You have Jimmy Fox, Hank Greenberg hits 58. Well, that's a story for another time. It's 58 homers. Ralph Kinder, Aaron, Daniel Mays, I go on and on, Killebrew, Schmidt. They all couldn't do it. They all could not hit 60. But yet, in one season, two players hit over 60. Right. McGuire smashes the record. I believe he had 60 homers or 61 Labor Day weekend. And then it's done six times in a four-year span. So it's done twice in 71 years and yet done six times in a, in a uh, four-year span. So you're telling me Mickey, Willie, McCovey, all these guys couldn't do it, but Sammy Sosa could do it three times. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's, it's incredible. And, and, and it, it obviously is steroids. And um, of course, and they make Maris have an asterisk because it was 162 games is 100, as opposed to 156, I think. Um, right, with 154, 154, 154 yeah, and 162. But Maris didn't set the schedule. Maris didn't yeah. cheat. That, that was a schedule given to him. And you know, if they won't let those guys into the Hall of Fame, why are we letting them into the sports pages? Why is every well, sports writer listing and? When Judge breaks the record, they'll say he's sixth all time. He's not. He's first all time, damn it. Of course he is. You know, I made two on my website. I have two sets of um, career home run, two home run career lists. One that's the list of that as it, you, it would appear if you went on any baseball encyclopedia and one without the steroids. And the difference is amazing. 
amazing. There's half the players with over 500 home runs want juice. Yeah, and you know, you look at at, um, at Bonds' career. I used to uh, go, to Pitts- go to Pittsburgh a fair amount uh, to see my niece, and I used to go to the playoff games the Pirates were having when Bonds was playing for the Pirates. And he was the skinny little guy. You know, he yeah. he hit 20 home runs, 25, 30, nothing like that. And then he turns, what was it, 38 years old? It was 38, 6, and he hits... 35, uh, but he started getting better. An athlete does not get better at the right. 35. Yeah, exactly. And when did he hit the 73? I think, he's, I think he was 36 years old yeah. when he hit the 73. So, so he doesn't do it in his 20s. He doesn't do it when he's 30. Judge is 30 now. He suddenly catches fire when he's 36. <laughs> Give me a break. And all these guys do it, and they know it because they're not in the Hall of Fame. You take the home run leaders of all time, and they're not admitted to the Hall. So what the hell are the New York sports writers doing writing that? Uh, I was in touch with uh, the New York Post, and I spoke to Joe Hyman, who I invited on the show, but he's got a contract, so he can't. And uh, he's been saying, uh, don't list Aaron Judge in the company of these other cheaters. Uh, it's ridiculous. It's like saying, this guy's the richest man in the world except for these five bank robbers. <laughs> I mean, <you> know? <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Good example. So, um, you know, it's listening to Yankee broadcast, they're <laughs> sidestepping the steroid era. They're right. talking about the Yankee record. And they're talking about the American League record. Well, right. if you talk to a lifetime St. Louis Cardinal fan, a Chicago Cubs fan, they don't care what the Yankee record is. And I agree. Why should they care what the Yankee record is? And nobody cares what the American League record is. You know, when, Ty, when Pete Rose passed Ty Cobb, Pete Rose is the all-time hit leader. Nobody is saying when Ty Cobb holds the American Joe, I have to record. break for an ad. Let me come back to you. Hang on. Okay. Handling legal matters is stressful. So, let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. He's been advisor to Presidents Clinton and Trump. And now, he's here to advise us all. Dick Morris is on 77 WABC. Well, Joe Angelini, I want to thank you for calling in. Give us the name of your website again. It's baseballsgreatesthitters.com. Good. So everybody go to it, sign up, subscribe, because the Aaron Judge story is not over. And uh, once it's over, no, it's it won't not. be over because there'll be other years and other debates. But uh, let's applaud Joe for doing that. Thank, thank, you, thank Joe. you, Joe. Thank you. Thanks Meantime, so let's go to um, John in Brooklyn. Hey, John. Hi, Dick. It's been a while. Good. And um, I'm calling about Hillary because here's an interesting connection. As as uh, I've told you before, we've met and we're both fellow alumni of the same great high school in New York City. Oh, Stuyvesant. Okay. Well, Should've one of my so. Stuyvesant classmates, years after she graduated from law school, worked for Ken Starr. Uh-huh. And she was one of the two attorneys who deposed Monica Lewinsky. Right. Wow. Unfortunately for her, she was trashed by Hillary and the Clinton allies. And to to this day, in her official biography, first she became a USDA in the state where she's residing now. Uh, Bush, too, had appointed her. And now she's working as a federal judge in the state. In her official biography, because of what happened, she does not mention her service with store. Gee, that's too bad. Well, um, look, uh, Hillary and Bill both learned the art of the counteroffensive. And the thing that really broke me up with Hillary, the reason we broke up <laughs> was that she was trashing these poor women who said yes or no or maybe to Bill. And she may, she had Bill give our friend Betsy Wright a list of all the women 
and then they hired detectives who went woman by woman, digging up dirt and compromising material on them. But in my book, The Return, Trump's Big 2024 Comeback, I say that Hillary's going to run again, and I outline her game plan, uh, the whole bit that I was saying earlier about capitalizing on the Democratic defeat in the midterm elections. And uh, she's going to run as the moderate. And I think she has an excellent chance to win the nomination because the party will be allergic to the leftists and they won't be able to control their primaries because the right, the conservatives and the sane people have left the party, but they can still control the superdelegates. Uh, and I think that, that they're going to do that. I think Hillary will be defeated, and I explained this in the book, by uh, the superdelegates who are appointed by the party. And they'll still control that, and they'll make sure that she's not running again. That, that she doesn't. That that she, they'll control that and make sure she gets the nomination, and then Trump will absolutely destroy her over the corruption issue, and uh, and that is that's going to uh, really be kill, her Achilles heel, uh, her corruption. Uh, but she's coming out with all the statements that I would have programmed through Bill. Uh, in fact, I, and I'm, I'm feeling a little badly about it. It's like she reads the book just like she read my memos in the White House and does what I tell her to do. And <laughs> bah, I created a Frankenstein, but the Frankenstein will be brought down by her. You can't hide and her lying eyes. Yeah, right. That's well, you should see a real smile. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. Thank you. I appreciate it, though. You know, um, when I first met the Clintons uh, in 1978, she never wore makeup. Oh, fuck. And then after he lost the governor in 1980, and I got to trying to get him back in in 82, I, she had to wear makeup. She changed her name. But she didn't know how to put it down or put it on. And she'd come down the stairs in the morning looking just like Clarabelle the Clown. No way. On Howdy Doody. She'd have this red circle on each No cheek, way. Right red circle, literally like a clown. Like and Clarabelle. No, you know, Clarabelle. Nobody sure. told her to rub it in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, You're let's killing go to, me over uh, here, Dick Morris. You're killing me. So, so we've talked today about the Mar-a-Lago documents, which is the key thing, that this was a scandal created by the FBI from whole cloth sold by the FDI mm. to the media, FBI to the media, and it's, uh, and it's their effort to take over the country. And we talked about Hillary coming back, and we talked about Vladimir Putin finding out that it is all over now, baby blue, hmm. and your empty-handed army is coming home. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Thanks a lot, folks, and have a great weekend. Thank you, Dick Morris. It's an honor. Ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.